Hello and welcome to the Reaction Podcast with me, Deputy Editor Rachel Cunliffe and Reaction Editor Ian Martin. We're back after the Easter break and what a break it was. With six weeks to go until voting day, we'll be using these weekly podcasts to delve into the election campaigns, analyse the triumphs and failures of the day and make a wide range of predictions on what to expect when the results come in on June 9th. Here's our first episode, assessing the state of the race so far. So, Ian, let's start with Labour. How how bad does it look? Sort of devastating or uh, party-destroying or...? On a scale of 1 to 10? Yeah, annihilation. (laughs) About as bad as it can get. And the question really is how low Labour can go in terms of share of the vote. Something extraordinary seems to be happening happening in parts of the country where you wouldn't expect the Conservatives to be doing to be doing well and even conserv- in a good year Conservatives are now uh, leading in Wales yes where they haven't had a, a majority in Wales since the Victorian times I think precisely when the franchise was a bit different but it, it, it has it's they've got a 10 point lead in Wales they're essentially looking at sorts of seats that they would never previously have, have, have looked at for Westminster so that's the story in Wales in Scotland Labour only has one seat, but it um, it might struggle to, to hold that. Uh, and the Tories it, are polling second in Scotland, which a couple of years ago I thought the Tory party yeah. was completely finished in Scotland. Yeah. And then there's the other dynamic, which is the, is the north of England, where, where the Tories are making inroads in sorts of places that wouldn't have previously been imaginable and that has a lot to do with the Brexit effect the collapse of the UKIP vote and that UKIP vote former UKIP vote, 4 million votes at the last election is going overwhelmingly to the Conservatives so you put all that together plus Corbyn's unpopularity uh, desperate situation the party is in in the, in, the, in the South you're looking at some people are talking about majorities of 50 to 100 but Based on the current swings and where the polls stand at the moment, still six weeks to go, you're looking at a majority that's even bigger than that. I mean, sophologists are now talking in terms of 100 to 150. But still, the campaign has only just started and there's a long way to go. I love that word, sophologists. <laughs> um, but on on Corbyn and how, how bad he, he is for the party at the moment, is there anything that moderate... Labour, good moderate Labour MPs can be doing right now. They've got the leader that they've got. Do they oppose him? Do they weaken their support by uh, continuing the Labour infighting? Do they keep quiet and go along with it and risk everyone saying, oh, you went along with a leader who mm. you know, doesn't believe in our nuclear deterrent and, and all kinds of other things? What, any, any tips on their strategy? Well, the, there's not a lot they can do. And the, the tragedy is, is that they're trapped here in that if if they take a tribal loyalist view of it, I'm thinking here particularly of Labour voters, and think, well, you don't want the Tories to have too large a majority, and decide uh, to, to, to vote Labour, there's every chance that Corbyn, if the Labour vote is slightly higher than the polls suggest at the moment, will take that as an endorsement. We know he's resisted every previous um, call for him to resign. It's difficult to see what would actually make the guy... Uh, quit. So he, he needs a crushing defeat, really. That's the problem. That's and if if Labour moderates want the Labour Party to be rebuilt or a new party to emerge, it seems to be obvious that the that the far left need to be properly uh, crushed, which leaves a lot of very good 
Labour MPs in seats that would previously have been thought of as relatively safe, you know, good, moderate, decent, patriotic Labour um, MPs really in a bind and possibly facing losing their seats, which is why so many of them in last week announced that they wouldn't be running. Or if they do stay, the possibility of um, him still clinging on anyway. So it's a pretty desperate situation. Sorry to be so um, <laughs> bleak about it for anyone who's not necessarily um, cheering the, the, the Tories on, but Labour is in a is, is in a serious bind. So golden opportunity for the Liberal Democrats, maybe? Well, the problem that the Liberals have got is, firstly, their leader. It's not very convincing, and it's very difficult to see how... It's better than Corbyn, though. I mean, these are, that's a pretty low bar. <laughs> yeah, he's, be, he's, be, he's better than Corbyn. That's not much of an election slogan. But um, he's not as good as, say, someone like Nick Clegg. I miss Nick Clegg. Been. Well, so do quite a lot of Liberal Democrats. And I miss Ed Miliband as well. So. Yeah. And <laughs> so he's, there's quite a lot of Labour labor rights. But he's, he's, Farron is also under pressure on this um, question of homosexuality and his religious beliefs, which is a problem for Liberal Democrats in that every time he tries to talk about something else, about Brexit or public services, he gets forced um, by the by the media back on to that subject. Uh, now which the, is slightly unfair given that he has sponsored and voted for uh, pro-LGBT legislation. Yeah. So whatever his personal beliefs are, his voting record is pretty solid on that. But it is inconvenient for him to have to reiterate that every time he gets asked anything. there's a there's a perfectly good case for an inherently very British case for separating um, faith and politics and, and, and not bullying people into giving the correct answer that the media wants. And that might start to uh, elicit some sympathy for Farron. But it's just difficult, even if you get beyond that, it's difficult to see him as a great... United rallying figure, figure or yeah. as, a, as a great sort of that, that, there was Clegg mania in 2010 I doubt there's going to be um, a far, much of a Farron fan base in, in 2017 but the Lib Dems do have a very clear message much clearer yes. than Labour you know, we are the party of Remain or if not Remain soft Brexit yeah. uh, I, I don't know if they've committed to holding a second referendum but they've definitely talked about it it's sort of mm. very obvious that if you were one of the 48 who voted to remain they are saying the Lib Dems are, are a home for mm. you and I think that's actually a really important development because the referendum result was clear but it wasn't um, it wasn't overwhelming like mm. f- 52, 48 that's, that's pretty close lots of people did feel that they wanted mm. to stay in the and are still angry about it and are still yeah. angry about it yeah. but haven't had uh, a leader or a party really fighting their corner because they, all the other parties went into a bit of a tailspin the difficulty for the Liberals is that without a serious surge and that doesn't seem to be happening yet in the polls it's difficult to see where exactly they win a lot of seats they're obviously going London. to they're obviously going to increase their um their hold in in London. There are some parts of the country where, in a few university towns, a few places where you can see that they are quite well positioned to to take out the the Tory uh, MP. But you're not. It doesn't seem yet as though you're talking about that being north of thirty or forty seats. It could be wrong, but just looking at the vote distribution, what appears to be happening and why sophologists think that the 
Tory majority could be you know, 100 plus is that you've got a situation similar to the 1980s in which the opposition is splitting with Labour down on low 20s going down even below where it polled in 1983 the Liberal Democrats vote will increase and their vote share will, in, will increase but add those together and in a first, first past the post system that benefits the dominant party which is the Conservatives who as it stands at the moment look like they're going to win very very big So is there anything that could happen that would make this actually be a mistake for Theresa May because there are some hard Brexiteers who are saying this is too much of a risk uh, I'm I, thinking about Gerald Warner on reaction <laughs> who thinks this was a bad idea yeah. um, is there any I mean I, I know that what this year or the last year has taught us is that you can never be too confident in any oh, kind of results yeah. um, so anything that you can see happening that would I think that when, when, people disappointment. Talk, when people talk about the polls having been wrong and they say well the polls were wrong in the US I mean actually the uh, polls were broadly right towards the end on a popular vote that missed what was happening in the Electoral College and when the polls were in the right ballpark on the referendum as well but you're talking there about if they're wrong they're wrong within a margin of error these Labour leads are so, uh, these Tory leads over Labour are so enormous Theresa May leading in every demographic on every subject, miles ahead on the NHS, miles ahead on the economy she's clearly connected in some way that possibly the media hadn't necessarily anticipated, people want someone who, if they voted for Brexit they definitely want it to happen and about half of the Remainer vote accepts it and just wants someone to get on with it, so it's a, it's a pretty powerful um, cocktail can we move on to just one other election mm. that I just feel we have to mention this week, which is France, which is uh, seemingly the establishment fighting back uh, against populism. Uh, Marine Le Pen didn't get her victory. Mm. Um, and now uh, Europhile politicians and commentators all over Europe and all over the world are saying, see, it's going to be Emmanuel Macron, the really pro-EU, pro-globalisation candidate, um, look at this success, this is uh, Brexit and Trump are an aberration and they're all celebrating is that celebrating too soon? Well I'm, I'm uh, not a Macron fan at all, I think he's a complete empty suit I mean you're, I like him. you're a bit better to, you're, no, I you're, like him you're better he, disposed towards him He, uh, first of all is the uh, only First of all, he's better than Marine Le Pen. Let's yeah. start there. Secondly, he's got a very open pro-globalisation outlook, and I think we need more politicians who are like that. And thirdly, he's one of the very few politicians who is actually thinking about technology and automation and the sharing economy and the gig economy in interesting ways mm. and thinking about ways that governments can rethink uh, the labour landscape and rethink how benefits and social security work in light of all of that and he does some very interesting work on that rather than what other politicians seem to do which is pretend it isn't happening um, so I think he's got some some interesting ideas and uh, yeah and anything is better than Marine Le Pen or, or uh, somebody who is under investigation for embezzlement and fraud for paying his wife and children for jobs that didn't exist. Well that's a standard issue for French politics and I do think um, Fillon would have been by far the best president um, in terms of being able to reach out to the parts of France that 
do feel left behind, but also being an economic uh, liberal and having an appeal to social conservatives as well. I think he and, and administratively, I think he would have been good. I think I, just something about Macron, as I say, which just screams empty suit to me. There's also what I don't quite see yet in the. We need to see, see some more analysis of the polling, which gives Macron very large leads in the runoff with Le Pen for obvious reasons. She's a tainted character. A lot of French conservatives would uh, certainly not want her to be president because they regard her as uh, as a risk, even if they don't like Macron. But having said all of that, if you look at the polling, um, look at the results from the other night, then anti-EU, anti-globalisation candidates one on, well, you could say one on the right, but actually Le Pen's economics are pretty left. Um, between Le Pen and Mélenchon... He's on the far left. Yeah, you're looking at almost 40% of yes. the vote, and then obviously the socialists down on... Um, the old official socialists down on, down on 6%. So almost half the voters voted for... Um, voted in a way which suggests deep, deep discontent with the EU and with globalisation. And this is from France, which is meant to be one of the driving engines of the project. Yes, and this is why I think... I mean, I, I keep using the phrase that Macron is an accident waiting to happen. I just think there's something very suspe- suspect about his story and his whole demeanour. Um, but you think that Trump is an accident waiting to happen and it hasn't happened yet? Well, or at least it hasn't well, happened. Well, he became president. <laughs> it hasn't happened in a big enough way well, to get his, uh, give him time. his party He's only and the government to kick him out. Give, it, give, it, give him time. But, um, but it may be that actually the the accident that's waiting to happen with, with Macron is that he wins on a basis of anything but Le Pen and wins 60-40. I mean, she's, I would suggest she's she's probably going to poll around sort of 40% of the vote, um, which is an extraordinary showing if she manages it. But that then France has an incredibly pro-EU integrationist um, president who's in favour of more immigration who has some interesting views on terrorism and security, interesting views on finance and technology. And what's clear and has been clear for some time, and was clear there in, in, in the Brexit vote and in Trump, and is clear in a lot of the literature in France, a lot of the research, is just that division and that creation of outside the prosperous, dynamic, diverse places like Paris or places that are doing well economically like Toulouse is a whole other vast country where people feel uh, completely alienated economically, geographically removed from where the employment is and culturally talks down to. And that's the vote that is there to be tapped. It might not be this time by Le Pen, but I, I just don't see how Macron is the answer for those people longer term. So, Marine Le Pen might not win this round, but 2021 looks like an interesting year. Yes, well, the, yes, potentially. Um, and she's got her niece as well, who's also the she's rising star of the, the National Front, which Marine Le Pen has actually quit yes. as of today. <laughs> which will um, obviously will be believed by everyone. Yes, she's now an independent candidate. Um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure everyone will go with that. But I think there is a, I think there is a there are deeper forces at work here about technology 
about economic alienation, about people being cut out, about people being bossed around culturally that resonates with millions of voters. One of the reasons I think that Theresa May is doing so well and is polling off the charts is because she actually strangely appeals to quite a lot of those voters as well. Because she's an older woman, she's not slick, she's not Cameron and Osborne. There's something about her style and demeanour which does, uh, which which appeals to large numbers of people who, even a couple of years ago, wouldn't necessarily have considered voting Conservative. So she's found an answer to it. A question I would ask that none of us know the answer to is the Tories are just running away with this election and it's going to fall a lot to the media to poke the Tories with a stick is what's the real agenda here? I mean, fine, the Tories are enjoying themselves coasting towards a majority of over 100 but what's what does she actually really want? Put Brexit to one side, beyond that, what does she want for the country? What's the manifesto specifically going to say the country still has deep, serious economic um, problems, issues with um, issues with personal debt, the economy's not dynamic and capital, capitalist enough I would argue, but she's pretty anti-business in her in her position. She's taken uh, Ed Miliband's energy price yeah. freeze straight out of the uh, 2015 manifesto and she's kind of running with that. Yes, so she, yeah, precisely, so we end up with a situation where you've got energy subsidies but then we're capping prices as well, so you've got a, 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 an energy market that will be made more dysfunctional by the Conservatives, unclear what on earth she's going to do on the National Health Service and social care, which needs properly addressed, needs, in my view, some new kind of beverage report-style event in which we actually, as a country, face up to the longer-term challenges there and health care reform. Is she going to do that? It's unclear. There is some suggestion that she's going to... Um, that she's determined to do House of Lords reform and some constitutional reform. Well, let's see, but I, I, I think... the point I'm making really is ultimately the Tories are running away with it, but they should not be given a free pass in the next six weeks. And we will be back next week to discuss further developments when maybe we'll have some of the answers to those questions, but at this point in the election campaign, I doubt it. Thank you for listening to the Reaction Podcast. We'll be back next week with more election insights. You can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and please rate us five stars. And don't forget, you can read more from Ian Martin and me on the Reaction website at www.reaction.life where you can also sign up to become a Reaction member.